You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. John 15 is where we are today as we continue in our series that we've entitled The New Normal. And the idea behind this series is that uh, as many people are beginning to ask the question of what is the new normal going to look like post-pandemic, uh, we think a better way to ask that question is what is the new normal that God wants to mark our lives as his people? In other words, what are the rhythms what are the practices that Jesus wants us to embody as his disciples so that rather than simply surviving the pandemic, we can actually come out thriving. Uh, we can come out flourishing. We can come out looking more like Jesus than ever before. And in order to answer that question today, I want to look in John 15, which is not only my favorite teaching from Jesus, but I believe it was John's favorite teaching as well. Um, and the reason I say that is because there are just 21 chapters in the Gospel of John Seven of those chapters are devoted to just a 24-hour period in Jesus' life. Seven chapters are given to the day before Jesus was arrested and crucified. And right in the middle of those seven chapters is John 15. So this is a teaching from Jesus that clearly had a disproportionate impact in the life of John. And if we will we'll just settle in and listen, I think it will have a massive impact in, in your life today as well. And so here's what I want to do. The Bible is clear um, when talking about itself that these are the very words of God. So this is not just like some other book that you read. Uh, it's not just words on a page. Um, the Bible is active. It's living. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And so what that means is that whenever I speak this or when I read this, it's just as powerful as if Jesus was here in the flesh speaking it to you. And so what I don't want to do as I read the text today is just kind of rush past this. I think the reading of the scriptures itself could be the most powerful moment that we have together. God wants to speak to you through these words. And so I want to encourage you, just settle in for a moment. Put both feet on the ground. Put away your distractions. And then I'm going to read... John 15, 1 through 17. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. As I read this, just right now, maybe ask, Holy Spirit, what is a word, what is a phrase, what is an image you want to jump out to me personally? What's a word you want to speak to me and why? And I believe God will reveal something to you. So let's just read it together. John 15, starting in verse 1, reading through verse 17. I'm reading from the NIV translation. And as always, the notes for the sermon today are on the Version Bible app. Jesus, again, he's about to be crucified. And before he's arrested and crucified, he says this. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. I love this metaphor that Jesus uses here. He says, God the Father is a gardener. And I love that because I'm a gardener. He also says that I'm the vine and you as my followers are the branches, which is a pretty simple picture, but in case you ever get confused, just remember it like this. Jesus is divine, and you are the branches that shoot off the vine. And so this is a metaphor that is earthy. It is messy because God knows that you are more like a plant in a garden than a cog in a machine. He says, this is what your relationship to me is like. I'm the vine, and you are the branches. And then if you notice, look back in John 15, there's this one command that keeps coming up over and over. Did you notice it? It's this command, remain in me. Jesus actually says it 10 times in 11 short verses. And the word that he uses here for remain is the Greek word minnow, which can be translated as remain, as you see here. But it can also be translated as stay or as to abide or as Eugene Peterson puts it in his uh, translation, to make your home in. And here's the promise today. You have to get this. According to Jesus, if you will do this, what will happen? If you learn to abide in Jesus, what will be the result? Fruit. What Jesus is talking about here is change. He's saying you can change. No matter how deep-seated the addiction may be, or the bad habits, no matter how much anxiety or depression or whatever you have inside of you, you can change, you can grow, you can bear fruit that he says in verse 8 brings glory to God by proving that you really are his disciple. Now, what is the kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about here? Well, in Galatians 5, Paul tells us in verse 22 through 23, he says that the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of one abiding in the vine, look what he says right out of the gate, is love. Let me ask you this question. How do you know if someone is spiritually mature? How, how do you know, a better question maybe is, how do you know if you are spiritually mature? Well, according to the New Testament, according to Jesus and the writers in Scripture, one of the greatest marks of spiritual maturity is love. It's love. Jesus said, you can sum up the entire law like this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Another place, Jesus says, by this, the world will know you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. How's the world going to know that you are a disciple of Jesus? It's not by knowing a lot of Bible. It's not by showing up every single Sunday morning and giving a lot of money and, and being a really good, like, moral person. But the way the world will know that God lives in you is by your love. And let me just say this, especially in our cultural moment where the world seems to be going insane 
like more insane than, than even 2020. One of the greatest marks of spiritual maturity is not just how you love your friends, it's how you love your enemies. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still rebelling against him, sinning against him, he gave his life for us. So this is a fruit that will naturally come from your life as you're abiding in the vine. Next, Paul says, not only will you be known for love, but you'll also, by those closest to you, be known for joy and peace and patience. Where it says there, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, is there anybody who hears that list and is like, no, thank you, that's not the life that I want? Anybody? Okay, we all can agree, like, that is a life that we want to live. And that's why we should continue listening to the rest of the teaching. Because here's what Jesus just said. How does a person go from being selfish to unselfish? How do you go from being quick-tempered to slow to anger? How do you go from being a coward to being courageous? How do you go from being a worrier and anxious to being a rock? How do we change? How do we grow? How can we be transformed and experience the life that we all long to live? Well, the answer is found right here in John 15. And the answer is by abiding in Jesus. It's so important that you get this today, guys, because I'm guessing if I could sit down with you one-on-one, you would have to admit there are some things in your life that you want to change. There are some things about yourself that you do not like. There are some areas of growth that you can point to or areas where you need to grow. And if you walk into a bookstore, the largest section in that bookstore is going to be the self-help section, and you are going to find book after 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 book on how you change. And many of these books will, will have like this mechanical approach. And they'll say, well, if you'll just do step one, step two, and step three, you can change. Others will have a motivational approach. And they'll say, no, 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 no. If you'll just believe in yourself or just dream, you know, just, just try harder to be better, then you will change. Others will have more of a magical approach and say, no, you just got to like get in touch with your inner self and, and dive deep and, and become more self-aware. Then you will be transformed. But what does Jesus say? This is actually, if you want to change, You need to know that it's only by an internal relationship with me that you can experience external change. Again, in verse 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's the image. I want to put this on the screen for you um, to just make sure that we're getting this. In this image, you see vines that are coming up from the ground. And from the vines, you have these branches. And from the branches, you have fruit. Now, how do the branches bear fruit? They don't just sit there and go, oh, come on, you can do it, you can do it. Come on, fruit, fruit, come on, grow fruit. Right? That's not how it happens. The way the branch bears the fruit is by staying connected to the vine. The vine is in the ground, in the soil. Up from the soil comes nutrients into the vine. The vine then has this living sap that flows through it into the branches. And the branches, just involuntarily, as it's connected to the vine, receives the living sap. And then what happens? fruit pops out. And according to Jesus, guys, that's how change happens. That's how you grow. That's how you will become the man or the woman that you long to be. Therefore, please get this. What Jesus is saying is the sole determining factor in how much fruit you bear depends on your connection to Jesus. I'm going to say that again, just because if you're anything like me, I've got ADD or ADHD or both. I don't know. I tend to like, it's so hard for me to focus. Let me just say it again. Focus. According to Jesus, the sole determining factor in how much fruit you bear depends on your connection to Jesus. And so here's what that means. If you have a good connection to Jesus, 
you will bear much fruit. You will be known by your spouse, by your missional community, by those around you. You will be known as a person of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness, self-control. If you are connected to Jesus, you will bear much fruit. But if you have a poor connection to Jesus, according to John 15, you will bear little to no fruit. And therefore, it is clear, guys, if we want to get better, if we want to improve, if we want to become more resilient, more mature, the goal should not be just to go and do more stuff. The goal should be spending time in the presence of God. The goal should be cultivating a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus. And just to make sure we understand this, Jesus goes on in verse 9 and he says this, Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Now abide in my love. And then in this blockbuster statement, he says this in verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. Do you realize today that God calls you his friend? I'm guessing if I were to ask you to describe your closest friendships, you would probably say something like this. My closest friends were always there for me. My closest friends are reliable. My closest friends understand me. They have my back. They encourage me. They rejoice when I rejoice. They, they, they grieve whenever I grieve. They speak the truth into my life. Uh, they don't just, just, just love me. They like me. When I walk into the room, they light up. I can tell that they're actually happy that I'm there. This is how most of us would describe our closest friends, and I hope you have closest friends like that. But as you think about your closest friendship, let me just ask you this. Is that the way you would describe your relationship to God? Are those the words that you would use to describe your relational connection to Jesus? You see, if I could summarize John 15 in a phrase, here's the phrase. You ready? This is John 15 in a phrase. Abiding friendship. See that on the screen? Guys, that is what God is after. Hear this. God is not primarily after this ever-perfecting spiritual performance from you. He is after a deepening personal and intimate relationship with you. Which is why in his final words, before he goes to the cross, the one thing he says, I want to leave you with, he could have said anything, is this, abide in your friendship with me. So here's what I want to do. This is small group of people. It's an intimate setting. Just close your eyes for a second. Um, you don't have to grab your purse. We're not going to try to grab your money or anything like that. Just eyes closed. And I want you to imagine right now God looking down at you in your mind's eye. Take some imagination, which some of us need to redeem our imagination. Just imagine God looking down at you. Now here's the question I want you to ask. Your eyes are still closed. What is the first thought that you think comes to his mind when he looks at you? What emotions, what feelings does he experience? What is the expression that would be on his face whenever he looks at you? Now open your eyes and let me just ask you this. Is the image that you just had in your mind consistent with that of abiding friendship? How you answer that question that you see on the screen 
is the most defining predictor of your spiritual future. The most defining predictor of your spiritual future is not me. It's not a sermon. It's not your pastors. It's not your missional community. It's not your parents. It's not your friends. The most defining predictor of your spiritual future is whether or not you see God as your friend and you believe that he sees you as his friend. You've heard me talk about this before. But whenever I was on staff, the first church I ever served at, I served um, under a pastor who, when I first went on staff, was super passionate. He loved Jesus. He loved others. He loved our community. He had big dreams. He was just an exciting guy to be around. But then the longer I was with him, the more apathetic he became, the more hardened he became. You know what I'm talking about? Like, there's just little comments people make, and you can be like, man, they're just, something's going on, just cynical. And I asked him one day, I'll never forget, I was sitting in his truck, and I said, Pretty much like, why are you the way that you are? You know? And I'll never forget what he said. He looked at me and he said, you know what, Jerry? When you've been in ministry, as long as I've been in ministry, one day you'll be just as cynical as I am. And that has haunted me to this day because here's what it has taught me. You can do Christian stuff with remarkable consistency, but if anything other than a loving relationship with God is motivating you, it's just a matter of time before you burn out. It's just a matter of time, guys, before you become apathetic and cynical, before your heart goes from being warm and tender to just hard and cold. And you may be able to staple fruit on the branches to look good on the outside, but it's just a matter of time before you shrivel up and die on the inside. And therefore, because that is true, the question we should all be asking today is how do we abide in the vine? How do we make sure that we make our home in Jesus, listen, when he's not physically here? And the answer to that question is this. The way that we learn to abide in Jesus is by staying aware of and connected to his Holy Spirit. Now, I don't have time to read texts to support that, but you can go read John 14 on your own or John 16, John 7, as many places in Scripture. But the way that we learn to abide in Jesus is by staying aware of and connected to his Holy Spirit. It's by learning to be in two places at once, in the grocery store, but also in the presence of God. At work but also being aware of the fact you're in the presence of God. With your boyfriend or girlfriend, when no one else is around, but also aware of the fact you're in the presence of God. On the computer and in the presence of God. Like at school, right, in the presence of God. This is what Jesus is referring to as abiding in the vine. It's what Paul refers to as praying without ceasing. It's what the 15th century monk, Brother Lawrence, referred to as practicing the presence of God. It doesn't really matter what you call it. You just need to know, listen, guys, this is the first and most important goal of a disciple of Jesus. There is no other goal, none, that is more important than this. This is a non-negotiable if we are going to come out of the pandemic better than we went into it. This is a non-negotiable, guys. This is non-optional if you want to not just survive, but thrive no matter what the world is throwing at you. Like This is what leads to a fruitful life. And listen to me, it takes a lot of practice. Frank Lawback was a missionary to an indigenous Muslim people group on the Philippine Islands. And you've heard me talk about him before. He wrote a book. He was the only uh, missionary, by the way, on a U.S. postage stamp. And he wrote this little book, little pamphlet called Letters by Modern Mystics. Some of you have this book, I think. You grabbed, some, you grabbed it last time we talked about it. 
But basically, these are his journal entries, and all he does is talk about what he referred to as game of minutes, which was he would just call God to mind every minute. That was his game. He's like, I don't want to go one minute without remembering I'm in the presence of God. And he actually came to a place where he was able to do it. And so in his journal entries, he talks about this. And here's a journal entry from May 24th, 1930. And I just want to read it to you. He says the following, This concentration upon God is strenuous. It's strenuous. But everything else has ceased to be so. I think more clearly. I forget less frequently. Things which I did with a strain before, I now do easily and with no effort whatsoever. I worry about nothing. I lose no sleep. I walk on air a good part of the time. Even the mirror reveals a new light in my eyes and face. I no longer feel in a hurry about anything. Everything goes right. Each minute I meet calmly as though it were not important. Nothing can go wrong except for one thing, that God may slip from my mind if I do not keep on my guard. If he is there, the universe is with me. My task is simple and clear. Isn't that awesome? The late Dallas Willard, who, like Lawback, gave his life to practicing the presence of God. And also, by the way, on his deathbed, someone asked him if he was afraid to die. And he said, actually, I think it'll take me a while to figure out that I died. And they're like, uh, okay. What do you mean by that? And what he was saying is that he had come to a place where he was so aware of the presence of God. He's like, when I enter into heaven, I'm not sure it'll be much different than what I'm experiencing right now. Which is Jesus' prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here. It's like, I'm, I'm living, his kingdom's here. I'm experiencing heaven now. <laughs> that incredible. Um, and here's what he says. The first and mo- most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret for caring for our souls. We talk a lot about caring for our souls. A lot about it. Counseling, Enneagram, we're all for all of that stuff. This, though, is the fundamental secret to caring for your soul. Our part in this practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things lesser than God. But these are habits. They're not the law of gravity and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. I love this next line. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. In other words, what Willard and what Lawback are getting at is this. If you will practice the presence of God, here's what's going to happen, guys. Here's how this um, progresses. If you'll practice the presence of God, you will eventually come to a place where whenever it's silent and it's quiet and you're not distracted, you will be able to come aware of God's presence, like in a real tangible way. Like, not like, oh yeah, Pastor Jared talks about his time with God. You will experience time with God. Like, that's going to happen. And then if you will keep at it, what these guys are getting at is not only will you become aware of God's presence when it's quiet and there are no distractions, you will be able to come, become aware of God's presence in your life at work, in traffic, at the doctor's office, in a waiting room, 
when people are yelling at you in the craziness of life, you will still learn how to stay aware of and connected to the presence of God. And when that happens, listen guys, you'll know what's happening because you will begin to live with an unhurried center of peace and power. That's the promise from Jesus. Now again, I don't think there's anybody in here who would say like, that doesn't interest me at all. I think we would all be like, yes, like that would be incredible. So before we end, the question is on a practical level, how do we get there? How do we begin to do this? And I don't think you're going to like my answer, but here it is. The way that you begin to do this, the way that you learn how to abide in the vine, to remain in Jesus, to make your home in him, is through the spiritual disciplines. It's through these time-tested practices that we see throughout the Bible, in the life of Jesus himself, down throughout church history that help open us up more to the loving presence of God. And when I talk about spiritual disciplines, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things like silence and solitude. Taking a Sabbath every single week. Fasting, simplicity, reading the scripture, praying. And by the way, praying, what I've begun to realize is actually more listening to God than talking to God. Worship, like the things that we're doing, and we'll do it in just a little bit whenever Logan comes up and begins to sing. It's very important. It pulls our heart towards the love of God. Community, things like a missional community and DNA, confession of sin. These are all time-tested practices that, that, again, do not help us, they do not help us earn God's love, but it does help us experience more of God's love. And this is what Jesus is getting at in Revelation chapter 2. I had never really noticed this before until last fall, but in Revelation 2, Revelation, by the way, is a book of the Bible, last book in the Bible, and it's recorded by John, the same one who recorded the gospel of John. And he's recording the words of Jesus to a church, the church of Ephesus. And listen to these words. Jesus says this, listen to the first verses and ask yourself, is this a church I'd want to be a part of? I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Does that sound like a good church? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes, it sounds like a pretty good church. Like, they're resilient. Like, they're doing it, man. Like, they're experiencing suffering, but like, they're still doing a lot of really good stuff for Jesus. Yet, verse 4, I have this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. So you're doing a whole bunch of good stuff, but your hearts are far from me. Our relationship has grown cold. The fire's going out. You're going through the motions and you're doing a bunch of good stuff, but man, it's just not like it used to be. Verse 5, consider how far you have fallen, repent, and do the things that you did at first. Now, when I used to read that, and the way I'd hear it preached, is basically Jesus is just saying, go do a bunch of more good stuff. But he just said, you're doing a bunch of good stuff, but I have this against you. You've lost the love that we had, so go do the things you did at first. Well, what's he talking about the things they did at first? What he's talking about is the work of abiding friendship. He's talking about, remember how whenever we first came together, how you would do these things that stirred your heart towards me. Get back to doing that. It's almost the image I had this morning as I was preaching this was my relationship with my wife. You know how it is? You start dating somebody, you're on cloud nine, it's just intimate, it's great. Like you'd stay up to 4 a.m. talking to them and like just like fall asleep on your desk the next day or whatever because you're just you're in love, man. And like you'll, you'll do crazy stuff and it's just like, but it's all coming from this place of love. And then what happens is life gets in the way and you get busy. And before you know it, you begin to drift. 
But Jesus is saying, like, we begin to drift. And I just want you to go back to talking on the phone with me again. I want you to go back to date night. I want you to go back to doing these things that open up your life to experience more of my love. And guys, listen, as simple as that sounds, it is way easier said than done. Can I get an amen? And it's hard. This is so difficult, not because God doesn't want to be with us, but it's because we have such a dang hard time being with him. And here's why that is. Francis Chan says it like this. If your life is like mine, it is too loud. Multitasking has become the norm. When was the last time you have had an uninterrupted conversation with anyone? In my quest to accomplish much, I have lost the art of focusing on one thing or one person. This, in turn, has affected my relationship with Jesus, and I'm sure it's affected yours. I find it harder to simply be with Jesus, to focus only on him while spending intentional time with him. He goes on to say this, Our lack of intimacy is often due to our refusal to unplug and shut off communications from all others so that we can simply be with Jesus. And so on the one hand, to abide in Jesus, that seems so simple, doesn't it? Just rest in him. But on the other hand, guys, this is going to take work. And the way that I think about this is by thinking about my neighbor's dog. Um, my neighbor has this like $7,000 dog. Um, he went and got it from West Virginia and it's got it from some breeder who like breeds for the Navy SEALs. Dog's name is Pepper. And here's what Pepper will do. Dustin, my neighbor, will go out and get his mail, and Pepper will jump up on the brick mailbox and just sit there. So he'll just like be checking the mail, and Pepper will stay. And he could walk away, and until he tells Pepper to move, she'll stay. And in one sense, it's like, well, that's an easy trick. It's just got to stay. But when cars are driving by and kids are outside playing, do you have any idea? No, you don't have any idea because you're not a dog. But could you imagine like, how hard it would be for a dog to just stay amidst all those distractions? And as I began to think about that, I thought, like, man, that's why this is so hard. On the one hand, it seems so easy, but on the other hand, it is difficult. In a world of distraction, in a world of look over here and hurry over there to abide, to just stay, to just remain in Jesus takes work. It takes discipline. But again, here's the promise, guys. If you will stay at this, if you will, the guarantee is you will be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And therefore, because that is true, listen, guys, if we're going to come out of the pandemic better than we went into it, if we're going to establish a new normal that's better than the old normal, you have to make your relationship with Jesus, abiding in the vine through the spiritual disciplines, a top priority in your life. Here's what this looks like for me, just to try to bring this really as low down on the ground level as I can. I go to bed, I try to every night around 10 p.m. Do I always go to bed at 10 p.m.? No, but I try to get in bed by 10 p.m. I do that because I need to, if I'm going to spend time alone with Jesus, wake up anywhere between 5 to 6 a.m. Anytime in that window, I'm usually pretty good. But I'll wake up sometime between then. I'll go make my coffee because it's cold outside. I don't sit on my front porch like I would in the summer or the spring. And I sit in my chair in the, in the living room. And here's what I do. I start and I just try to center myself in the presence of God. And I will just really try to pay attention to what's inside of me. And I'll be like, okay, what am I feeling right now? Am I feeling fear, anger? Hurt, loneliness, shame, guilt, sadness, gladness. What am I, what, what's going on inside of me? And then after I do that for about a minute, I'll just say, okay, God, I know you're here. Help me to be here with you. And then I will just begin to read in my daily Bible uh, plan. And right now, uh, Sean and Brandy Goodson, members of our church, gave me a, a Paul David Tripp devotional that has scripture that goes with it. And so I'll just read that. 
And what I'll do is exactly what we just did together in John 15. I'll read it and just say, Holy Spirit, what's an image? What's a phrase? What's something you want to jump out at me? And then whatever that is, and I usually just read four or five, six verses somewhere around there. Whatever that is, I'll just stop there and say, okay, why did this jump out at me? What is it you're trying to say to me through this? And I'll just spend a moment in listening prayer. And then what I'll begin to do is I have a journal. It's an app on my phone called the One Day Journal. I've been doing it for six, seven years now. I will pull that out, and I will begin to basically just type out what I feel like God is saying to me. And I will, uh, you know, just basically begin to respond back in prayer. I'll make my little text of prayer. Because, again, like it's, my mind goes everywhere, and I found that maybe you, if you write your prayers, you type them out, like I can focus much more. And then I'll go about my day. And here's the thing, guys. I can do all of that in about 45 minutes. And it's amazing how when I do that, those 45 minutes, that time in the morning will set my trajectory for the rest of the day and how aware I am of God's presence and all of the other stuff. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. Some of you, I know that you hear that and you're like, 45 minutes, bro, you're an amateur. I'm at like two hours. And if that's you, I'm like, praise God. Seriously, like, that's awesome. Well done. But my guess is that the majority of you are like 45 minutes. Huh, where am I going to get 45 minutes? And even if I could get 45 minutes, there's no way I could focus for that long. Some of you, my guess is, why the majority of you, is you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is you check your email, or you check your text messages, or you check social media. And then maybe you open up your YouVersion Bible app, and you find the verse of the day, and you read it real quick, and you shut it, and then you go about I'm guessing the majority of you probably feel like there are often times when you read the Bible, it's just words on a page, or you pray, and it feels like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling. And I just want to say, like, listen, if, if that's where you are, let me leave you with just three words of encouragement before we end. First, let me say this. Start where you are and not where you think you should be. When it comes to the spiritual disciplines... Start where you are and not where you think you should be. Some of you, 10 minutes may be all that you can do when it comes to reading your Bible or praying or silence and solitude. Maybe for some of you, five minutes is all you can do. If that's, if that's you, listen, no guilt, no shame, no condemnation. Start where you are. Secondly, give it some time. This may come as a surprise to some of you, but I can count on one hand over the last year how many big breakthrough moments I've had with Jesus in the morning. And as far as I can think of, I've not skipped any mornings with him. You play count on one hand how many times I've walked away and been like, wow, that was so powerful. There are some times where God, when you spend time in the Word and in prayer, he will show up in incredible ways. But most of the time, at least in my life, what I have found is the spiritual disciplines, pick any of them, They've been pretty uneventful. Most of the times, whenever I do the spiritual disciplines, I do not feel like something has changed in me. And I'm guessing that's probably going to be true of you as well. And the temptation, therefore, will be to give up, to tap out, to say, clearly, this doesn't work. And I just want to encourage you, before you do that, listen, guys, remember this, fruit does not grow overnight. You can't microwave your spiritual growth. True spiritual growth is slow. It is so slow that oftentimes you will be the last person to see the growth 
Other people will see it in you before you see it in yourself. And therefore, listen, stay with it. Keep practicing the spiritual disciplines. Commit to what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. And then finally, I would just say this. How many of you in here have kids that are living at home? Raise your hand. Okay. Quite a few of you. I just want to leave you with this as a word of encouragement. God understands what stage of life you're in. I wish somebody would have told me that early on. There's a pastor I know that's in San Francisco, and he went to a conference with Tim Keller. Tim Keller's a pastor. He's had a big influence on our church and many other churches. He just recently retired, wrote a book on prayer, and he was kind of doing this little circuit and talking about it. And after his talk, there was a little Q&A time, and one of the pastors asked Tim Keller, has your prayer life improved since you retired from being a pastor? And he responded, he said, no, my prayer life has improved once my kids moved out of the house. And he said, it's not because... I'm just praying for them more, so I finally have some time on my hands. And then he went on, and he said, you know, I get this question all the time from parents with young children, and they'll ask me, how do I have a powerful prayer life? How do I have a strong devotional life whenever I still have children in the home? And he said, the best advice I can give you is just try to stay saved. <laughs> that was his, literally, that was his advice. Like, just try to stay a Christian. And he's like, and I believe in the perseverance of the saints, you know, like once saved, always saved. I'm just saying, like, just try to stay saved. Now, obviously, it's meant to be funny, but there's truth to it. And it's very hard to have a consistent, quiet time whenever you're raising these little humans who are so incredibly needy and snotty, by the way. And I just want you to know, like, if, if you're in that season of life, man, God sees you, and he understands the struggle. And so just do the best you can, depending on what season that you are and, and listen, if you will do that, and we're done, guys, listen. But if you will do that, you will find, I'm telling you, not overnight, but over time, you will grow. If you will cultivate that abiding friendship with Jesus, you will grow and you will change and you will begin to look from the inside out more like Jesus and therefore you're true and your better self. My wife and I watched a documentary last year called God is Bigger Than Elvis. It's about a girl named Dolores Hart who was this Hollywood scarlet. And in the 50s and 60s, she was living the Hollywood dream. I mean, she was in pretty much every like, movie that had anyone in it. Like, I mean, like, she, was, she literally was in a movie with everyone and anyone, right? including people like Elvis, which you see in this picture. And then something sh- uh, happened in her life that changed all of that. Um, she signed this mega deal in Hollywood. She got engaged. Before she got married, she's like, you know what? I'm going to do this little silent retreat at an abbey in Connecticut. And while she was on this silent retreat at this abbey, something in her heart was pierced. She met the living God. And so she went back to Hollywood. She broke off her engagement, went back to the abbey wearing her wedding dress and committed her entire life to being the bride of Christ. She says, I I, want to be married to you. I, I, I want to leave the fame I want to leave the fortune. I want to leave it all behind because I have a taste of the love that is so amazing and so divine that I want to make sure that I never leave your side. And so she gave up everything and she just focused on this relationship with God. And as I watched this documentary with my wife, I thought, you know, on the one hand, this is a wonderful account of a woman who has found everything that we all want. Love, 
joy, peace, fulfillment, satisfaction that isn't dependent upon my possessions and things that are going on. And that was pretty awesome. What really fascinated me about this documentary is that it was on HBO. Like Game of Thrones, HBO. And it wasn't a condescending documentary. It wasn't making fun of her. It wasn't dismissive. Here's a documentary made by HBO, and and here's all they were saying. They were like, look, here's a woman who had it all, and she gave it all away. She became poor. She became celibate so that she could experience more of God. And listen to this. HBO actually portrayed that as a beautiful option. And the reason why I think that thing is beginning to happen, something like that, is because we have come to a cultural moment where we have experienced it all and are still unfulfilled. By and large, as Americans, we have access to more money, to more sex, to more entertainment, to more travel, to more digital freedom than ever before. We've exhausted the options and we realize it's not working. And therefore, HBO says, looking for a better option? Here's one. Here's another option. Abiding in the vine. Learning to live aware of the presence of God. They said, it seems to be working for this woman. And so if you two have exhausted your options, if you have come to a place where you're like, there has to be more to life than this, here's the answer. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me, and you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. To meditate on this reality, each week we partake of communion. I know we have some guests who are here today, and so let me just explain this to you. Um, We do communion every single week because Jesus has told us to do that. And so you have this little cup with a piece of bread that is there on your seat or beside your seat. And just remember as you take this that the bread represents the perfect life of Jesus on your behalf. Remember as you take the juice which comes from the vine, that it represents the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Now listen very carefully, okay? Because I know we're getting ready to take this. Let this settle into your heart, okay? Everything I said, if you are a disciple of Jesus, is true of you. Hey guys, look at me. Everything I just said about Jesus and your relationship with him is true for you. Even if you don't feel like God loves you, even if you don't feel that he is near to you. If you have given your life to Jesus, you are in him and he is in you, and there is nothing you can do to separate you from his love. And so remember that reality as you take communion. Now, for others in here, if you have not trusted in Jesus, here's what I want you to know. The Bible is clear. Listen very carefully. We just had a woman right up here. I just prayed with a woman I don't know, an hour and a half ago, who for the first time ever realized this, 30-something-year-old woman, and maybe you're going to realize this today too, the Bible is clear that your sin separates you from God. It attaches you. You are going to be like a dead twig that eventually is gathered up and thrown into a fire and burned. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus said. And so today, more than you need juice and a piece of styrofoam slash cracker, You desperately need to be attached to Jesus. How do you attach to Jesus? It is by clinging to the reality 
that salvation is yours by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. You don't have to work your way into his lap. You don't have to earn your way there. You just simply come with the empty hands of faith and say, Jesus, I know that I have nothing, but I have you, and you're enough, and you are what I need. And if you will do that, you will ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins. He will do that, and he will fill you with his Holy Spirit, and he will never, ever leave you. And so if you've never made a decision to do that, come and talk to me, talk with Adam, talk with someone you came with. We would love to help you with next steps. With that, Logan, come on up here. As you are ready, you can begin to take communion. I do want to pray for us one more time. And then after you take communion, you can stand and we'll sing one final song together and be dismissed. So let's just pray as we enter into this time. Father, I do thank you so much for everyone who is here, those who are watching online, and I just pray that that you would make us more aware of the love that you have for us. If I can just be transparent with this group, I mean, even driving here this morning, God, you already know my heart. You know how hard it was for me even to, to really receive your love, to feel your nearness. So hard when we walk with shame, we walk with guilt. We're in a world where we're constantly told if we don't perform well enough, people are going to leave and they're not going to want to be with us. And it's just hard to imagine that a God as good and holy as you would want to be near us, that you don't just love us, that you like us. And I just pray that right now, in a supernatural way, through your Holy Spirit, that you will take these words and you will drive them into our hearts, that they will be planted. And they will, as a result, produce in us the love and the joy and the peace and all these things we long for as we learn to abide in your presence. And I pray for someone who maybe is here today who does not have this relationship with you. I pray that and they would just realize that they will never find a greater love anywhere else. The love they are longing for will not come from their spouse, from the boyfriend or girlfriend. It will not come from their children or parents or even the church. We can't even give them the love that they need the most. We know that only comes from you. And so I pray you will pour that into their hearts and they will receive it by faith. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray and ask these things. Amen.